Okay, joined here. Uh, we're on Zoom with uh, Jonathan Helton. How you doing, Jonathan? I am doing great. How are you, Jeff? Pretty good. We've uh, we've chatted a bit. You actually reached out to me it was a few months ago uh, after I wrote in my Sunday column about how much I hated the Jones Act, which actually was the Passenger Vessel Services Act in this case. And uh, you reached out to me, and, and you're with the Grassroot Institute in Hawaii. So yes, talk that's a correct. Bit, talk a little bit about that, your background, and then we're going to talk about the Jones Act and the Passenger Vessel Services Act, which which both have big impacts on Alaska and Hawaii, among other states. Yes, they definitely do. The, the Grassroot Institute of Hawaii uh, is a nonprofit think tank, and we're interested in advancing economic freedom, and, um, individual liberty, accountable government in the state of Hawaii. And in this case, um, we're looking at the federal um, issue of the Jones Act because it does impact states like Alaska, Hawaii, and then territories like Puerto Rico and Guam especially harder than it impacts the rest of the nation. So how long have you been with the, you know, this is kind of a pretty niche type um, issue. You know, most people probably. Yes, don't it is for sure. I, I've been working with the Grassroot Institute on the Jones Act for coming up on four years now. Okay. So, so let's talk about both of these things. There's, there's the um, Jones Act and then the Passenger mm-hmm. Vessel Services Act. Now the Jones Act re- applies to cargo in the passenger yes. vessel service that applies to passengers. Talk a little bit about what that means for kind of ships and like where they're built and how they can function in the United States. Right. So the Jones Act, is, I think most people are a little bit more familiar with it. And it simply requires that all ships that are moving goods between two U.S. points have to be ships that are built in the United States, flagged in the United States, and then be mostly owned and crewed by American citizens. And so, as you said, that applies to cargo and the PVSA, the Passenger Vessel Services Act is very similar. It's essentially the same thing, um, all those same requirements, but applies to the transportation of passengers. Now the Jones Act is like a post-World War I, uh, almost like a protectionist uh, law in the 19, I think 1920, but the Passenger Vessel Service Act goes back to the 18, I mean, 1800s, right? The uh, the yeah, eighteen eighty-six, I believe. Although it's it's worth pointing out, people say the Jones Act goes back to nineteen twenty, which it does. But both of these laws um, come from a history of what are called cabotage laws that um, were instituted shortly after the nation was founded. So there's been some version of these laws ever since the United States has been a country. Um, now you know they may have had a good justification back then, but in the 21st century, these laws don't work very well because, as you said, you know, the Jones Act is world post-World War I. It hasn't really been updated since, and neither has the PVSA, which is even older. Well, the, the reason this kind of came, um, and I've known about this for a long time, I, mean, I think there was a study many years ago that looked at Alaska and Hawaii, and I think they they kind of concluded that, that the Jones Act hits each family in Alaska or Hawaii um, to the tune of two or $3,000 per year, and, and, you know, the and the cost of kind of increased increased cost of goods for shipping on these ships, you know, American made ships. Now you could have a, a foreign ship and all these cruise ships are foreign uh, built and flagged, but, but they just can't go from port to port and U um, S port to port and unleash, um, unleash, uh, um, unload goods or people. 
unless right. I, unless yes. I, you know stop at a foreign port like that's why all these cruise yes. ships, you know end in canada um yeah so that's why that's the quirk of the pvsa so the jones act is pretty straightforward you if you if you um if you unload a barrel of oil in um california you want to move that barrel of oil to hawaii um, you have to do that on a U.S. Uh, you have to do that on a Jones Act ship. But the PVSA, as you said, it it gets a little bit more complicated. Can, because can you, with the Jones Act, can you bunch... can you start in uh, 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 California and then stop in Canada and then go to Hawaii or no? No, you can't. So it's got to be from Hawaii, uh, California to Hawaii, or back and forth. It's got to be a U.S. built, U.S. flagship. Yeah, if you're if you're moving cargo between any two U.S. points, it has to be one of those Jones Act ships. So, okay. as I said, that, the Jones Act is rather straightforward. The PVSA is not. The PVSA is, um, PVSA is like Swiss cheese when it comes to its loopholes. So, right, so if you have a cruise ship moving from Seattle to uh, Alaska, that what they're able to do is they're able to take advantage of a loophole that allows them to make a quick stop in a foreign port, which in this case is, is usually Vancouver. Mm-hmm. They just they make a simple stop. And then they're able to continue on their merry way. Um, but as a part of that stop, the condition is if you if you if you're a foreign ship that does not comply with the PVSA, you make a stop at a foreign port, you can't o- offload passengers at another U.S. port. So all of these um, tourists who are sailing between Seattle and Alaska, under the law, none of them are allowed to disembark in ports in Alaska. They can get off and walk around, but they have to get back on the ship and they can only disembark at either a foreign port or Seattle. Well, and this so is kind of the crux hopefully of that's why, not too confusing, but and it was the crux of why I wrote, you know, uh, I guess it was September um, six weeks ago. I went on a cruise. There was a, a Holland America did an offering of for Alaska residents, kind of a pretty, pretty cheap mm-hmm. at the end of end of season fare from from Whittier to Vancouver. And I, I jumped on and I was like, oh, it's really it was like a thousand bucks all in for a week, you know, room, food, everything. Um, and then I had a, had a, had a lady friend I was, was going to come with me, but she couldn't go to uh, Vancouver because she had to uh, get off and go back for the weekend. Um, and she put to work in Anchorage. She was going to fly back from Juneau to Anchorage. And I told the cruise people this and they said, okay, well, there needs to be, they called it a Jones act exemption, but I mean, it's really passenger vessel services act exemption exemption. So, yeah. I, I okay. I said, here's here's her information. Here's the plan. Blah blah, and you can get exemptions, and it's not through the cruise ship company. It's through the customs. It's through the federal government. Yeah. So we get to Whittier, explain it again, and they they hadn't processed the exemption. They like the the customs didn't, and we it was ten days, I think. Uh, you know, bef- before the cruise that I asked for it, mm-hmm. and they wouldn't let. I mean, they they basically said if you get on the ship, uh, and you get off and don't get back on, it's like. I think it was like a thousand dollar fine. Yeah. So you have to pay. I think it's both. I think it's like a 700 and something dollar fine, but I mean, they could have, the cruise ship could have added on its own fee on top of the um, legal fee for that. Yeah. It just, it just seems so kind of r- ridiculous to me that people can't just, I mean, what if you get sick? I mean, I'm sure people get sick or maybe people forget to get on the boat. I mean, I guess they have to go to the next port or fly. I mean, they, they have to figure it out, but. I mean, this must happen. Yes, no. I mean, it does happen, and this there's been several instances where um, I think there was an instance just just last month where a cruise ship left um, a port in Southern California, 
and it was going to head down to one of the ports in Mexico to make the foreign stop. Um, but I believe there was some unrest in Mexico at that time. So the cruise ship, uh, they didn't want to stop in the port in Mexico, so they had to turn around. So oh, really? I'm sure um, like a, on, in, the... on the background. Yeah, so they, 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 in, on, in, on the background, I'm sure they got some sort of workaround through customs and border protection. But that's not something the media has covered. So you kind of see the initial story and then nothing ever comes out because the cruise lines sure get with their lawyers, get with customs, and, and they hash that out. Yeah, I didn't hear about that. Now, now the one thing that w- we did hear a lot about last summer was um, Senator Lisa Murkowski, Senator Dan Sullivan, and, and Don Young, who's now passed away. They were very um, outspoken about this issue with Canada and the cruise ships and not letting cruise ships in. And then, you know, for Alaska, cruise ship, you know, is a huge part of our tourist market. And and they had the, yeah, Congress, had passed, basically, the, the Congress had basically passed an exemption or a, a temporary um kind of halting of the Passenger Vessel Services Act for ships going from Seattle to Alaska back and forth because they couldn't stop it because the Canadians were like crazy with this COVID shit and they were, you know, shutting. I mean, they only a few like last month only finally kind of kind of fully opened things up. I, I flew back from Vancouver and this is in September and they still are making you wear the masks. Mm-hmm. And and it was like a week later they finally. St- but I mean, you know, Canada was kind of way out there on this stuff. So. So the government, the, the the Congress actually did pass a temporary lifting um, or halting of this PVSA, but it was only it was only temporary. Yeah, it was. And now, thank I mean, thankfully, so Lisa Murkowski has proposed a bill. Um, I can pull up the name, the title real quickly. The bill is called the Cruising for Alaska's Workforce Act. So she proposed this bill. Um, last last fall after that temporary exemption had lapsed. And what Murkowski's bill would do, it would exempt Alaska from the PVSA entirely until a large U.S. flag uh, cruise ship entered the market. And I think that's worth pointing out because the, the PVSA, the Jones Act, one of the main rationales behind these laws is that they protect U.S. national security they, they, um, they're supposed to ensure a fleet of vessels that the United States can use in times of war. But there's no large cruise ships that are protected by this law. And so, I mean, Murkowski's bill was pretty common sense. It, it hasn't passed, but she did say if she's reelected, she's going to propose it again in the next Congress. So, I mean, you well, know, that's there, what there's a the possibility. That's what I wanted to talk about. You know, the PVSA is passengers and then the Jones Act. And I talked to somebody who's a longtime maritime guy, and I mentioned how dumb I think these are, but he made a good point. And what you just kind of touched on is there probably is some some reason or or some uh, rationale for for having, you know, American made ships be mm-hmm. around, especially in time of war. You know, having a, a naval fleet is important. But I mean, I think you could still do that and and have, you know, American built naval vessels and ships and then and then also allow good. And I guess the other concern is if you have, you know, foreign ships moving our goods and our, our oil and our our, our, you know, products around and there's a war with some country, then they, they would have like, you know, us around, they would have like a stranglehold on us for, 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 you know, essentially moving our, moving our resources around, which I guess, you know, makes some sense too. You, you want to have your own ships and your own people be able to take care of, um, you know, the needs of the country of, of, of the resources. But I don't know. I just, I mean, I understand the national security aspect and I think it makes some sense, but I just kind of question, does it, why does it apply to everything? 
Yes, no, and, and that, that's a legitimate question. And, you know, the Jones Act and the PVSA, they don't apply to U.S. military vessels. That, that's a separate law. So if these laws were reformed, you'd still have the Navy building all of its ships in the United States. But I think there's a couple of questions, you, you know, we need to consider when we talk about national security. With the PVSA, there's not a, there is one, and that's a very, that's a very special ship we can talk about later. There's one large cruise ship that, that um, actually complies with the law. And that cruise ship is only operating in Hawaii. So it's not really, this law is not really protecting anyone. There's no shipyards that are staying in business because they're building large cruise ships. All, all so these the big, Jones Act. All these big cruise ships we see ahead. in Alaska, they're, they're, they're kind of flagged in like Bahamas or Liberia and they're, and they're built, you know, they're, they're built in other places where it's cheaper. I mean, the taxes are probably. Yeah. You know, actually, and, and yeah. this is another thing. Um, does that mean or you are hearing some feedback? I think that's probably me. Sorry. Um, no, no, no problem. So um, I, I will say that w when the COVID happened, uh, all these ships are, are flagged in, like I said, Bahamas or Liberia or wherever. Um, and, and I, and I, I kind of thought it was a little bit preposterous. They were asking for all of, of, of these uh, bailouts from the government. They don't pay any, they don't pay any much taxes here because they're, because they're flagged abroad, right? They're flagged in these like lower, lower caught, lower tax countries. But but it's also cheaper to build these ships and, and have these ships flagged uh, in other countries. Yeah, it definitely is. You know, I think Europe has a pretty big portion of the cruise ship building market, and then I think I think that uh, East Asia does as well. So yeah, I mean, Europe's gotten Europe's. You know, a lot of those countries have similar standards of living to the United States, but even that even there, they've been building cruise ships for quite a while. So they've got they've got the skill that keeps them competitive. For the United States, we, we just um, the last large cruise ship that was completed in a U.S. shipyard was in the 1950s. That's and that, oh, really? that's how long ago it was. So th there's yeah. So this law, this law is not protecting anyone, right? And it hasn't for 60 years, pretty much. Do, does Europe have? Do you know if countries in Europe have similar laws? Yes. So. Most countries in the world have some sort of capitage law where they give some sort of preference to um, country to ships that are flying their flag. Mm -hmm. But the EU is special um, because you have all of these member states. And so um, a lot of times what the EU will do is they will allow ships from member states to operate kind of kind of like um, domestically, right? Okay. And most the other thing that's worth noting, most countries do not require, that ships flying their flag and operating in their domestic commerce be built. The United States is one of the few countries that has a what we call a domestic build requirement for its vessels. So so who who I can see on the Jones Act side, I can see who would be interested in keeping that around. But I mean, who is what lobby or what group is interested in keeping the PVSA around? I mean, it sounds like it's not really protecting anybody. So why why is it still around? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. Um, I as far as we can tell, um, there are some groups in Canada, really, that want to keep it around. Uh, you you see this because I think oh sure yeah because you got to because you got because you got to stop in Canada. Yeah, you know they get I think two two billion dollars a year because cruise ships stop there, so they have incentive to. And there's been some reports that Canada has lobbied um, Congress on this, but I'll, I'll give you an example. This was the past uh, 
within the past two months, there was a, um, a country in, in Central America, I believe it was Panama, and there was news that they had hired a lobbying firm to lobby Congress to amend the PVSA to designate Panama as a, a distant foreign port. And so that's important because if Panama was considered a distant foreign port under the PVSA, a cruise ship could pick up passengers in San Diego, California. It could sail them down to Panama. It could run through the Panama Canal, and then it could drop them off in Florida. And because because, uh, because Panama was considered a distant foreign port, so in in Panama's eyes, they're they're looking at this as a way to get tourist revenue. If we if we can change our legal status under the PVSA, then we're going to get money. That, that's, wait, wait, so, so you know, that makes sense from their point of view. So under the PVSA, you have to like these ports have to be designated. It can't just be any foreign. Yes. Port. So it's right. Right. You have the loophole of a stop in a foreign port, but it gets even more complicated because there's two kinds of foreign ports. There's either a nearby foreign port, which would be Canada um, or Mexico. Those are two common ones that cruise lines stop in. Or there's distant foreign ports, which I mean, think New Zealand. For example, cruise line um, picks up passengers in California, sails to Hawaii. They visit Hawaii. Um, they it is a cruise around the uh, around the entire globe. They visit New Zealand, somewhere in Africa. Because they visited those two distant foreign ports, they're able to um, disembark passengers at the U.S. East Coast or at a port that they did not pick the passengers up at. So, so those so, are, are are you saying that New Zealand and some countries in Africa, they're designated like ports that are distant or compliant. yeah, they would be yeah, they would be considered distant. And right now, um, Panama is considered a nearby foreign port, so they they have the, they would they're essentially considered the same as a stop in Canada would be. And if they change that, and and they think they can probably make some money off of it. Also, if you're distant, you can you can disembark people back in the U.S. But if you're nearby, you can't disembark people. Yeah, so if you're nearby, you can only disembark them in the same port where you um, embarked them at. So that's why all of these cruises um, from Seattle start and end in Seattle. But if you're distant, you can disembark them at a different port than you pick them up at. It just seems so, I don't know, it just seems so kind of convoluted. I, I wonder why, I really wonder why this yeah. uh, has maintained, you know, stuck around for so long when, well, like I said, the Jones Act, I that's can... That's a great point. Yeah, as you say, the Jones Act, you know, the Jones Act is straightforward. It, you know, the Jones Act has a lot of costs, but there's, you know, there's a debate that has more of two sides. This one, the PVSA is just flat out confusing. And so, and you see who benefits from it. It's, it's a foreign country that has hired a lobbyist to lobby Congress so that they can maybe get some more tourist dollars. And that makes sense for them, but that doesn't make sense for, for the United States, you know. And make it make more sense to to change the law and to say, you know, since there's no U.S. competitors, maybe it would be okay to allow cruise ships to pick up um, passengers on, you know, in San Diego, and maybe if they want to take a cruise up to fan up to Seattle, they could do that. But the PVSA prevents them from doing that right now. So, so if the PVSA went away, or if this Alaska thing passed and Alaska was exempt, people could, in the assuming the cruise ships would go along with this, somebody could get on in Whittier. Because right, right now in Alaska, we have kind of an issue with our ferry system. It's 
there's budget issues and, and some of them aren't working and it's just it's last four years are very it actually goes back a lot longer than that but but you know it's it's an issue with very set schedule and service and you know getting folks around um coastal communities if the cruise ships you know were to allow that somebody could get on in Whittier and then get off in Juno instead of having to go all yeah. the way down to so you, you you could the cruise ships could maybe I don't know if they would even want to do that but they could have a maybe another market of moving people within Alaska or within California whatever different different you know states um and you know there's also the crew you know obviously the cruise element but if maybe just you know somebody wants to take a two-day trip and they want to go somewhere else and not have to worry about driving or flying yeah i mean that you know that's absolutely right we're in, in hawaii you know we've considered the same thing hawaii does not have a robust ferry system they've got a couple of little ferries but there's no um there's no ferries that uh, visit all of the islands so that we lost the inter-island ferry a couple of years ago so so if, if if Hawaii were able to get in under Murkowski's bill, you know, you could see maybe a foreign cruise ship, you know, they visit Honolulu all the time, but they visit other ports in Hawaii as well. Maybe someone could hop on in Honolulu and if they wanted to go to the big island, um, they could do that. But, you know, but right now those foreign ships can't make that move because of the PBSA. Yeah, it just seems, you know, I've been to I've been to Big Island and Honolulu and Maui or Oahu and Maui. Um, and I just got, I was in March, I was in Finland and I went to Estonia and, you know, the Baltic sea, huge sea. And there's, there's a whole kind of network of, of fair, big ships. I mean, they're, they call them ferries, but they're like almost like cruise ships and mm-hmm. you know, it's like 10 bucks, 20, it's cheap. And you can get, and I don't know, obviously, you know, like you said, EU, and there's probably some other, some, some, some efficiencies with, um, the way they do things there, but it was just so easy to just book a, book a ticket, get on two hour ferry. You're, you're from Helsinki to Tallinn. And there's all kinds of these things moving around the Baltic Sea. And it was just very easy. It, was, it wasn't even that expensive either. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, Europe, I think, moves something like 40% of its domestic cargo by water in the United States. I think that number is like 2%. And, you know, I mean, there's more than, you know, there's, it's not just the Jones Act to blame for that. But, you know, the Jones Act plays a part in why we don't move goods by water. It's it's it makes it a lot more expensive. PBSA is the same thing. So so, what do you you know see happening here in the next? I know COVID kind of made this PBSA thing a little more um, visible in the public. I mean, do you think this Murkowski bill or will go? Yeah, I think I would. I would be. I would love if the Murkowski bill um, were to pass, and I think you know I think that's a function partly of. You know, it's partly what what's Congress going to look like? Who knows? Um, uh, and it's partly how much she wants to push this issue, because if, you know, if she's able to get whoever Alaska's representative ends up being and then um, Dan Sullivan on board with this, if, all, if the entire delegation is pushing for it, it's got a pretty good shot. In Hawaii, one of the problems that we've had in working on this issue is that only one of the four members of our congressional delegation, U.S. Representative Ed Case, is actually supportive of Jones Act reform. And so it's it's been really hard to move the needle on this issue because most of our uh, most of our uh, delegation is kind of, I, it supports the Jones Act and why, that has why, a lot to do with the, mar- why, the maritime interests. Yeah, I was going to say, why do the other ones support it? Do they have kind of maritime support or? Yeah, so there's two very large ocean carriers there in Hawaii. You have Matson, you have Pesha, and um, there's you know there's there's a lot of money involved. Which you know, which I understand, and which is why one of the reforms we've been pushing for is 
maybe a domestic build requirement reform. I'll, I'll give you an example. Just today, Matson announced that it was going to purchase three container ships for $1 billion. So that's you know, $300 million a ship. If Matson were to buy those ships in, an, in a shipyard in Asia, they could probably pay closer to $100 million per ship. So that's three times less expensive. So if Matson's able to do that, you know, they're able to save money, which in turn for residents of Hawaii, that's going to save them money too, because the, they're not going to, the Matson's not going to pass on the cost of those ships. But, 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 but Matson, Hawaii or Alaska. But Matson and other companies are thinking if they already paid more money to have it built in us, or if they're going to buy ships and pay more, they don't want, and that's almost understandable. They don't want to all of a sudden have the law change and then say, well, fuck, we just spent 300 million. Now homeboy is going to, Come in with a ship for a third of the cost, and he's going to be able to do the same uh, transport. Yeah, that you were you're exactly right, and that's that's part of the reason these laws receive support in Congress from Hawaii's delegation. Matson and Pesha do not want the additional competition coming in on those Jones Act trade lanes. Which I mean, you know, I understand, but you have to ask the question: Who pays for that? Well, and, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's just like consumer. you know, this is a, a lot of states have this, and or cities have this, and we we Anchorage experiences several years ago with uber we had this medallion permit system for the taxi and i used to drive a taxi cab in college and there's this you know government market that was created and you know you had to have a medallion and there was only so many of them and, and it was it was it was kind of a government made market and then all of a sudden uber came in and they eventually let uber in and those medallions the people in some cases spent a lot of money on hundred thousand dollars hundred fifty thousand dollars you know all of a sudden overnight became basically worthless yeah. And the government yeah. didn't, you know, my, my, my contention or my argument was, look, let Uber in fine, but you have to compensate these people who spent this money yes. on, on, on these permits. You know, some people spent more, some people had them a lot longer and they spent less. you know, you have to find a way to compensate. You can't just, cause then people just don't trust the government, you know, and I'd be upset yes, yeah. for me that spent a lot of money on a, on a big ship. And then they said, well, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, that you, people get upset when you change the rules in the middle of the game. Yeah. So I mean, and I, so that's I why you know one thing. One thing we're talking about is compensation, and there's a question: if the Jones Act is really for national security purposes, for you know to benefit the entire country, why are the residents of Alaska, Puerto Rico, and Hawaii the ones who are paying for the brunt of the cost? So that's where that's where compensation factors in. I think maybe we reform the Jones Act. You know, but we compensate for some of these carriers for buying these um, really expensive ships. And then, if we're going to support U.S. Um, U.S. ship owners and U.S. shipyards, maybe let's do that through some sort of national program, as opposed to just forcing forcing the cost onto just a few areas. So, so all these big cargo, huge cargo ships from China or from all over, and they come to like L.A. or Seattle. These are all U.S. built ships. It, it, well, if only if it's in domestic trade. If it's a if it's moving in international trade, there's a really good um, chance it's not going to be a U.S. built ship. It's probably going to be from China, Japan, South Korea. Yeah, that's what I thought. So those so, are the world's major shipyards. So, is there are there exemptions again for foreign for foreign goods? Yes. Yeah, so for for imports, the Jones Act doesn't apply. Jones Act PVSA they just apply to. Um, ships that are moving goods between U.S. ports. 
that's it just seems like another kind of strange part of me so you can have all these other yeah right on foreign ships but not yeah i mean it used to be you know back in the founding you know there was there was there were some requirements that foreign trading ships had to had you know be u.s built but i mean those were appealed over time because people realized that it drove up the cost of shipping and some i mean some people have tried to change the law to require that a certain percent of u.s um exports or imports be carried on U.S. built ships. And those proposals usually don't get through because people are concerned that it's going to drive up the cost. For example, a couple of years ago, there was a representative from California who proposed a bill to require that um, U.S. natural gas exports, a certain percentage of those exports had to be carried on U.S. natural gas tankers. And the Government Accountability Office did a study on this, and they said, Basically, if you do this, um, these exporters are going to have a pretty big problem because there's no U.S. flagged um, nat- natural gas tankers in the Jones Act fleet. There haven't been natural gas tankers built in the United States since I believe it was the 1980s. So if we have any in the fleet, they're extremely old, and there would have to be a lot more built if we were going to export natural gas. Oil. So that proposal got shut down because they're gas and the energy sector sorry you kind of you kind of on board with that a little bit of a connection issue say the second part last part again i was gonna say the the energy sector was not on board with having that requirement that a certain percent of natural gas exports be carried on u.s that's actually that's actually interesting right now because you know for decades and 40 50 years we've been talking about a gas line um in, in, in Alaska, and it's never gotten done. It's gotten close a few times. There's been, you know, one governor, last governor had to deal with China that kind of fell apart. There's been stuff with other, you know, Asia. Um, and But now with Putin and, and Ukraine, and, and there's some more renewed interest in maybe doing this thing, which I'm always apprehensive because every governor has some, you know, idea about it. But if it were to get built, I mean, the, the export market is, 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 is Asia. It's Japan and Korea. So I mm-hmm. guess I wonder how that would, uh, you know, what, what, what would be... In that case, it's exporting to a fort. So basically any ship, right, could could do it. Yeah, it, it would be any ship. Um, I mean, it's possible you might see some people calling for some of those cargoes to be reserved for U.S. ships. But, I mean, it's unlikely that that's going to pass because the oil exporters are going to say, hey, that's going to increase our costs and it's going to make us less globally competitive. Well, it's a fascinating topic, and I'm glad we got – I'm glad you – how did you come across my – do you have like a little um, – What's it called? Uh, like like a Google alert for? Yeah, no, app? I've I've got Google alerts set up for PVSA and Jones Act. So <laughs> a lot of times people mention these issues and and they get them wrong. And so I you know I try to reach out and say, hey, especially with the PVSA, right? It, it's confusing as all get out. And so you know if a, if a, if a writer doesn't understand it, I try to reach out and say, hey, you know, I think you're missing some of the intricacies of the law. And so I you know I, I hope I've been helpful in that. Yeah, no, it's good to chat. Like I said, I mean, I, I think a lot of Alaskans have heard of Jones Act and, and recently PVSA with the COVID, but um, the intricacies, like anything else, when you dig into it, it's it's pretty fat. I mean, I, I didn't even realize there was this distant port versus close port thing. And um, uh, I I really hope this Murkowski bill goes somewhere because I think for Alaska, this this could be a big, you know, positive impact yeah i mean i hope it does too it doesn't include hawaii right now but i mean even if it passes just for alaska 
that's an example for us to point to to say, hey, you know, this is working for Alaska. Why, you know, why can't we try something similar for Hawaii? Well, Jonathan, I want to thank you for coming on and, and chat with me about this very fascinating topic. And I think it's something that, you know, impacts all, all almost all Alaskans and actually basically everybody in the country. So you want to go on a cruise. Yeah, you know, it does. Buy some goods. Well, keep in, keep in touch and uh, and thanks for talking. And if you have any updates and um, if there's any movement on this bill next uh, next Congress, we can uh, we can chat again. That sounds good, Jeff. I appreciate it. OK, thanks again, Jonathan. And uh, folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Landline.